Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. It is Tuesday. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Evolution of a Witch Prompt Journal. So let's get your day going with a little magic. Our quote of the day is, I wanted you to see what real courage is. Instead of getting the idea that courage is a man with a gun in his hand, it's when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyways to see it through, no matter what. Atticus Finch, Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird. So we're talking about chestnuts this week, and it's because we have just gone through the holiday season, we've eaten such wonderful food, probably have gotten indigestion, I have, and uh, I don't know where you find chestnuts, I don't know where we eat them, I don't know if we still eat them, I really am not up on my chestnut information. But I thought it'd be really fun to talk about since it really is like arguably the food of the season. I think so. And I thought it'd be really interesting. So today we're talking about folklore of the chestnut. And this comes to us from MagicalSpot.com. Chestnuts have been grown by humans since about 2000 BCE and were carried by the armies of Alexander the Great as well as later Roman armies. These armies planted chestnuts in their wake, helping the European variety spread from its native Asia Minor to all over Europe. Now, there's quite a few stories, folk stories, that include chestnuts. We have the magic chestnut, which is a tale that grants, or it's a tale of a chestnut that grants wishes to those who find it. Then we have the story, the sacred tree, which is a legend that depicts the chestnut tree as a symbol of wisdom. And then we have the harvest ritual, a traditional celebration associated with chestnut harvesting. So just taking that information, you can probably kind of deduce ways you can use chestnuts magically. Of course, we'll talk about that later in the week. But some examples could be um, using it to manifest, right? Like if it grants wishes, maybe whenever you go out to achieve something or to get something, like maybe it's a job interview or maybe... You're trying to thrift for like a outfit for a wedding and you really need to find the right color for under $20. Like you can maybe pop a chestnut in your pocket, bra, purse, whatever, and maybe it can help you manifest. So there's definitely some ways we can use it. Um, for wisdom, maybe you can uh, carry it before an exam or a test. Uh, there's definitely some fun ways I think we can use it just, just based off the lore alone. All right, moving into some headlines. This is something I thought was really interesting. Uh, it is from the fandom, thefandomentals.com. And it's about a movie called Burden of Guilt. And it's a review, so we're going to go over a little bit of it. But then I'm going to uh, share why I wanted to bring it up. So, The Burden of Guilt is a challenging, thought-provoking movie that gets lost in its melodramatics. 
It would be easy to write the movie off as merely bad instead of flawed. As I almost did, the writer writes. Without realizing that the film's main thrust must be considered through the lens of voodoo. Voodoo is a religion so often used as set dressing. um, And the fact it's a religion always is just an afterthought. Written, directed, edited, and shot by Linton Stewart III. The burden of guilt is an obvious labor of love. The earnestness keeps the film from being merely bad and makes it interesting, interestingly flawed. Still, despite some of the issues, I found myself wrestling with my own worldview. As an atheist, I like to think of myself as anti-theist. But what I and most other atheists often overlook is how, despite our rejection of Christianity, so much of our worldview is still steeped in it. This includes our very own personal systems of ethics and justice. I mention this because Stewart's The Burden of Guilt uses the lens of voodoo to look at what ethics mean to us as an individual in our society, or at least tries to. The problem becomes that Stewart's script gets swamped as subtext becomes text, yet there's an effective theatricness to Stewart's debut feature that keeps it buoyant. Set in a single room, the burden of guilt looks at a married couple, Mallory and Tristan, as they seek help from a counselor, the enigmatic Dr. Colburn. Stewart uses his camera and editing to create a tactile sense of claustrophobia, making both Mallory and us feel as if something is off. So why I thought this was really fascinating is I was really uh, caught by where he says, despite being an atheist and rejecting Christianity, Christianity is still the lens of our worldview, right? So during the holidays or on Christmas Day, me and my family watched The Last Holiday, which, uh, spoiler if you don't know what it's about, it's it's pretty old by now. Uh, well, the the premise is that Queen Latifah plays a character who only has two weeks to live. So she decides to live life to the fullest. And... While I've seen this movie quite a few times and I really, really love it, I kind of had that realization similar to this author. Uh, There's a scene where Queen Latifah's character is in church, uh, and more specifically Baptist. She's in a church and she's having a meltdown, like a breakdown over this diagnosis. And she starts saying, why God, me? Why me? I was a good girl. I did everything right. I didn't sleep around. I, and she just doesn't understand why when she is such a good person, why she is going to die. And while I will say, I'm going to preface this with, I love this movie. I love this character. Oh my gosh, this character is sweet, kind, nice, empathetic, uh, loving, and probably one of my favorite characters. And not in terms of interesting, but like my favorite character in terms of kindness in a movie. The definition of good is clearly through a Christian lens and not just for this character. This character, while yes, is defining herself as good because she's following the rules of her church, we as the audience are also kind of expected to agree that yes, this is a good person because of these things that are viewed as good, but they're viewed as good because they're church law, right? So for us, some examples of that in The Last Holiday 
is like she says, I don't sleep, you know, I don't sleep around, which as we're kind of becoming a more sex positive culture, that really stood out to me, you know? Uh, So in the character's eyes and kind of what the film is expecting us, the audience to believe is the markers of a good person is what this character entails, which is doesn't sleep around, dresses modestly, hair is always neat in a bun. It's never loose. It's never down. Uh, she has stayed at the same kind of job that doesn't treat her well, that doesn't respect her for way too long. Uh, she cooks and serves other people, but never indulges herself. Uh, she saves every penny, very, very frugal. And the whole point of the movie is that we're meant to believe that these qualities make a good person. And, of course, the character is actually good, and we do see that throughout the movie. She stands up for service workers, and she is there for people, and she's kind, and she's a support system. So, yes, like, I agree that this character is is a good person, but to establish it in the beginning to make us feel bad for this person, we have to buy into the idea that these things is what creates good. And... I kind of see what the writer of this article is talking about, where even if you reject Christianity, so much of our morals and values are still through the Christian lens of what the church deems as good, you know? Anyways, I thought that was fascinating. So if this is something you're into, if you're like maybe looking to challenge that within yourself or curious about like an independent movie, Burden of Guilt could be a great one to look at and then kind of sift through feelings you may have as you watch it. All right, witches, I am throwing this over to our moon correspondent, and after this break, we will talk more. Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Tuesday, January 16th. The waxing crescent moon makes waves in Aries today. Here, the moon squares Mars. Mars is currently exalted in Capricorn. We're feeling a sense of determination that we rarely encounter, ready to own everything. However, the square to the moon and Mars points to an inability to rein in some impulsive instincts. We have to be careful about getting in our own way today. Mars and Capricorn is all about the long game, putting pieces in place, pulling together a strategy. With one impetuous moment, you can bring the whole house of cards down. So slow down a bit today. Allow things to unfold. If you choose to be deliberate, you are way less likely to throw yourself off track. Your daily moon mantra is, the busier you are, the more intentional you must be. This has been your daily moon mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny. Revolution of a Witch is a prompt journal made for witches by witches. Do you believe in good versus evil? What three items would be used to summon you? Who has been the most impactful person in your practice? These questions are meant to not only help you think about life from new perspectives, but to elevate your magic as well. Whether you want to write your responses and move on, or use this journal as a jumping off point for future conversations with friends, Evolution of a Witch is a judgment-free space for you to share your thoughts and ideas. Evolution of a Witch by best-selling author Tanya Brown is available for order online at your local bookshop or wherever books are sold. All right, we are back. So 
We had a question asked on our Discord that I thought was an incredible question, and I really, really wanted to share it because I feel like a lot of our listeners could relate to it. Uh, So even though it is kind of assumed that anything shared on our public groups may be shared on the podcast, I'm not going to say this person's name just because um, they didn't give me permission to, so I'm just not going to. So they write, I could really use some advice. I've been struggling with my identity as a witch lately, and part of it is because I probably researched too much before trying to do things. I've only been practicing witchcraft for a few years now, but I can count the number of spells, rituals, etc. that I've done on one hand. I get really in my head about doing it right, but I don't even know what type of witchcraft I practice. I started with chaos magic and sigils, and now I feel torn between a few areas of study. Traditional folk witchcraft vibes with me, but I also feel strong ties to celestial events in the Greek pantheon. One of the books I read recently also made a claim that you have to renounce your baptism to be a proper witch, and honestly, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, is that even actually necessary, or is it specific to folk witchcraft or something else? So here I am, confused and conflicted, not knowing what I should do to recenter myself. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. And yeah, so let me tell you that it was that that's a big question and there's a lot of parts to it and there's a lot of people who i think could relate to it and i wanted to share what i responded with and i responded a lot so <laughs> i wrote back and i said oh okay there's a lot here so let's take it a few beats at a time first off the renouncing baptism i'm sad that that was in a book because it's very telling of the author One, rules of religion only matter if you still believe in that religion. If I joined a religion that said every Thursday I had to make a pot of chili or a demon would eat my heart, if I leave that religion belief system, I no longer need to cater to that demon. And if I were to join a new religion, it would be strange if I was still worrying catering to the chili demon, you know? A lot of witches come from Christian trauma, and they view their new religion through the lens of Christian education. I see it all the time. And sadly, it sounds like that author is writing about witchcraft from a Christian place, which in itself is very problematic because they're pushing Christian beliefs onto people while using witchcraft as a rebellion against their clearly still entangled religion rather than a spirituality on its own. So F that. If you're not Christian, then the Christian rules and beliefs don't matter. So too long didn't read. If the baptism thing... No person treating witchcraft as its own spirituality would tell people that they need to renounce their baptism. The author sounds like a Christian, not a witch. Your spirituality is your own. If it would cause you emotional pain to do it, don't. And I'm very upset on your behalf that someone would say that. Uh, Next speech, identity is a witch. Research is awesome. There is no such thing as over-research. And honestly, in this day, a lot of people thinking learning is useless and a 30-second TikTok should be the amount of context needed for everything, you'll be ahead of your peers if you're bothering to actually learn and research. Now, I think there may be a little too much pressure on you feeling as if you need to fit your spirituality into a box. It's okay to not have a perfect shiny label on your witchcraft and magic. I love folk magic, and I love necromancy, and some days I'm picking from one, some days I'm picking from the other. Sometimes I'll do something ceremonial just to shake things up. You can pick and choose as long as you're not calling yourself an expert on anything you're not fully involved in. You're chill. 
All these things piquing your interest is a sign you're a witch. If you weren't a witch, you wouldn't be so interested in all these avenues. There's no finish line. You'll never feel as if you completed figuring out your witchiness. It's an ever-growing learning exploration spirituality. So, too long didn't read on witch identity. If you, you are a witch because you're interested in all of these things. That combining them into your signature style is a lifelong journey, which is supposed to be fun and enlightening and fulfilling, not stressful. Unless you're in a tradition which requires degrees, don't worry about climbing the ranks of witchcraft. Next beat. I don't do enough spells. Okay, witchcraft is a mix of two things, practice and spirituality. Most new witches ebb and flow on which is important to them at the time. Every new witch is hyper-focused on practice immediately. Spells. They skip to the end of the book to find the spell to make a crush like them. Totally normal. And as you grow and evolve, this will change and shift. When I was in my teens, I was hyper-focused on practice, spells. In my 20s, I stopped doing spells almost completely and focused on the spirituality aspect. And now I'm in my 30s, I'm kind of leaning back towards practice again. Phyllis Currot, who uh, has been on our show, um, is someone who's much more focused on the spirituality aspect and not so much uh, the spells and uh, will aspect. Not doing one type over the other means all that much. It doesn't mean all that much. You'll ebb and flow back and forth as you change and your life moves and changes. So TLDR and spells, being a witch isn't all about spells. There are other aspects to it. Spirituality, research. As you go through life, you'll focus on different aspects and some a lot, some a little, some not at all, and it might change and that's okay. Next beat, doing it right. I always say no goddess ever beamed down to earth and told the author of some random Llewellyn book that if they served clockwise instead of counterclockwise, their entire practice was a sham. We have to remember the rules and laws and dogma of spirituality and religion is man-made. It's people just trying to figure shit out. If you like that sort of vibe and want to join a religion or tradition that has it kind of pre-built for you, you totally can and can be handed something like a guidebook on how to do everything exactly how they think you should do it. But there's also a beauty in the journey and the exploration and the trial and error. Neither is right or wrong. A tradition offers a well-worn path, but that is like getting a pre-built builder's home, whereas trial and error can be frustrating and slow, but offers much more personalization. It's like, again, like you designing your and building your own home. So TLDR and doing it right, unless you're a part of a religion such as traditional witchcraft or voodoo, there isn't a right or wrong. It's just about trying things that feel right to you and then adding them to your arsenal of witchcraft skills. Finally, on recentering uh, recentering yourselves. We're living in a hard, hard place at a hard, hard time right now. To feel out of sorts is normal and expected, but what can you do to recenter your learning and your witchcraft? Can you find a day, two, three, where you can kind of be alone? I'm not sure of your lifestyle or world setup, but if you could take a day or a few to focus on your magic, I think you could have some space to clear your mind a bit from the chaos of other voices and find clarity. Maybe sit down and write down a list or three lists. Write down, sit, <laughs> sit down and write down three lists. 
List one, what I've done I enjoy in magic. List two, what I've done I don't like at all in magic. List three, what I'm curious about and would like to learn more about. And start there. Or something you like an exercise you can do, maybe even pretend you're creating your own religion using that list. This may help you structurally feel sorted out. Based on those lists, what does your custom practice look like? Pretend like you're writing a new religion for a fiction book, not not bound by the rules you feel of this world, completely limitless, and take some time uh, to kind of figure out what that would look like, and maybe you can find inspiration there. So anyways, I think why I wanted to share this is because I think a lot of people feel like that listener does. And at the end of the day, we have so many authors and writers trying to tell us how to do our spiritually right based off how they do it. And at the end, of, we have to kind of realize that these books are inspiration. They're not law. Again, unless you're a part of a religion that is dictated, whatever. Uh, so use books not as guidebooks, but as inspiration. But your spirituality is yours. It can be a little bit of everything. You don't have to label it. And it, it should be enjoyable. Okay? Anyways, witches, I hope that was helpful. I hope you found something in that. And yeah. All right. So we are wrapping up this episode of The Witch Daily Show. I want to give a shout out to Stephanie Pinion. Stephanie, you cunning, glittery, tropical fish. Christina Benfield, you charming, perfect banshee. Callisto Lowry, you badass, scrumptious kitten. And Molly Higgins, you beautiful, brilliant moth. Thank you for so much for being Patreon supporters. I really, really appreciate it. Now, before we leave, we do have a card poll. Our card today is Shadow from the Roast Iconic Deck. Deal with your demons before they deal with you. All right, witches. That's all I've got for you today. Don't forget any books, sex, headlines, sources, anything we reference today can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpod.com. And we will talk again tomorrow. Bye. Witches, we hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day.